Check out Unpacking Israeli History podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girlbomb. Girlbomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girlbomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self-care. So to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining. Keep being you. And treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. I'm your host, Miriam Rochek. And this week, we're going rogue. By that, I mean Sophie's out on the call. We're producers. No gods, no masters, no producers. That's right. We don't need the people who put in a lot of work to make our stuff good and. <laughs> Uh oh, what do we do? I I don't know. I thought you knew. And Ian is our editor. This week, we're continuing the saga of last week about yes. Blackbeard, the non-pirate, Sholem Schwarzbart, the anarchist poet, clockmaker, community defense organizer, and clockmaker assassin. Yeah. Ooh. So I wonder who he's going to kill. I have no idea. When last we left, uh, the man he held responsible for thousands of deaths of Jews massacred in pogroms in Ukraine had just moved to the city he is living in, Paris. Mm -hmm. I'm bad at foreshadowing. So <laughs> to dive right back in, as soon as Sholem hears that Petlura is in Paris, he buys a pistol and starts stalking mm -hmm. the guy. Now, stalking is, is difficult in the 1920s. Uh, so what he does is he cuts a picture out of an encyclopedia because it's <laughs> 1925. Uh -huh. How are you supposed to know what a war criminal looks like? Um, he, he like pastes it onto a piece of card and carries the picture around everywhere. <laughs> just you in see case this he man? Yeah. Fully Whoa. just like looking Whoa. around for him, which is obviously a terrible plan, right? Like you're not mm -hmm. just going to run into him. It's it's like the getting locked into a bar plan all over again. Terrible yeah. plan, except it totally works. He overhears a group of men speaking Ukrainian on his way home from the library one day, follows them, and he's pretty sure he recognizes one of them as Petlura, but he can't be positive, so he stalks them. Mm -hmm. He sees the same guy again, follows him around for a while, and he eventually finds a restaurant that he's a regular at. Mm -hmm. But based on the shitty little picture he's got, he's not sure enough to take action. Um, because he's being okay. pretty cautious. He doesn't want to just, like, shoot an innocent man. Yeah, because he actually has a decent set of ethics. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
But then a newspaper publishes a picture of Petlura, and it's a much better picture. And Shalom is like, oh, yeah, that's that's definitely the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so at this point, stalking intensifies. He is, he is following this guy, waiting for a chance to kill him. Mm-hmm. And he gets one. He gets a chance to shoot Petlura, but he doesn't take it because Petlura's wife and child are with him. And Shalom's like, I mean, I'm an, an aspiring assassin, not an asshole. Yeah. Um, so he lets the chance go by um, rather than kill the man in front of his family. Okay. Okay. That's classy. Now, I know, right? Shalom, for a, for a man um, opposed to all systems of class, he's a class act. Uh, I see what he did there. Now, finally, on May 25th of 1926, he catches Petlura leaving the restaurant alone. Mm-hmm. And again, just to make sure, he calls out Mr. Petlura and he turns to look at him. So he's like, that's the guy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't answer, though. He just turns away. So Sholem calls out, it is you, Mr. Petlura. Defend yourself, you scoundrel. Yeah. Which, objectively, a very cool thing to yell. Uh-huh. A vast <laughs> scallywag. Uh-huh, sorry. <laughs> it's Blackbeard. Because, this is just Because Blackbeard. you are you are uh, all in on the this guy is a pirate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I Because I, I know I'm very little Yiddish or German, but I know that Schwarzbart means Blackbeard, so that's why I'm going so hard. <laughs> oh. I thought you were gonna say I know very little Yiddish or German, but I do know how to talk like a pirate. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, valid. You know, I can't do any accent when someone's looking at me. That's Arg. Fair. That's it. That's what pirates say. Avast. Shiver my avast. <laughs> Hoist up my pantaloons. <laughs> this is why we need Sophie. Sophie would have shaken it's... her head in disbelief, and it would have reminded. Okay, so okay, it's so all he... gone off the rails without yep. you, Sophie. Uh-huh. We need you so much. <laughs> I know. All right. So he says, "It is you, Mister Petlura. Defend yourself, you scoundrel." Mm-hmm. Petlura turns and raises his cane to to defend himself. Uh, but Shulem, who has a gun, not a cane, and yeah. is famously a very good shot, uh-huh. puts five bullets in him and leaves him dying in the gutter. Yeah. And thus to, yep. And then he just waits. He doesn't try to get away. Mm-hmm. Classic Sholem, all the self-preservation instincts of a 19-year-old with a motorcycle. He empties the remaining bullets from his gun because he doesn't want to endanger any passersby if there's a struggle. And he just waits. Now, a crowd forms before the police can get there, and they start trying to beat him to death. I'm not sure if he regretted emptying the bullets out of his gun or not at that point. Oh, he has a cane. Yeah, there's a cane right there. Yeah, if I know one thing about RPGs, that being role-playing games, not rocket propel grenades, is that once you've defeated someone, you get their weapons. Yeah, you just pick up the loot. Yeah, he doesn't do that though. Um, oh, he just okay. waits, and when the when the police arrive, he hands them his gun. And when they ask, like, "Did you just shoot that man who's lying bleeding on the ground?" He says, "I have killed a great murderer." All right. Sholem is taken to jail, and Petlura is taken to the hospital. Wait, wait, dies. wait! Can we talk about alternate theories about what happened back there? Go for it. Go for it. So I had heard a version of the story where you weren't sure yet whether or not. When the cop came up and said, did you kill this man? He answered by shooting the body. <laughs> um, as far as I can tell, he did not answer by shooting the body because he had re- he had emptied the bullets out of the gun. But like that sounds like a thing he would have done if he weren't so concerned about endangering bystanders. Right. Like I think I think aesthetically that was that was his move. But morally, 
and ethically not. Okay. Okay. So in the film adaptation, he can yeah. uh, he can just shoot the body again when asked whether or not he killed the guy. I think so. Yeah. I, I would be down with that. Yeah. With a little <laughs> footnote at the bottom that's like, this is not how it happened. This is not how it happened. Shalom was too ethical to fire an unnecessary shot during, yeah. while there was a large crowd of people around him. Yeah. He should have taught community defense classes to the modern left. Okay, anyway. Yeah. So anyway, Petlura is taken to the hospital, and he dies just 28 minutes after he was shot um, because Sholem was a good shot. Now, in jail, Sholem is shocked to find that the guards are sympathetic to what he's done. Wow. Yeah, he hadn't really expected sympathy from anyone, especially not from cops, uh, but the opinion on the streets of Paris is very much fuck that Petlura guy. Like nobody uh-huh. seems to like him. And the guards let him know that, yeah, he got the right guy because he was still super stressed about the idea that like somehow he had mistaken this yeah. person's identity and, and killed an innocent person. Because that, like, nope, that was up. him. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was I think that was his biggest concern at this yeah. point. Um, and then they let him know that, yep, yeah, that guy is extremely dead. Mm-hmm. And is extremely Petluria. Petlura. Yeah. Extremely Petlura, extremely dead. And Sholem writes, I suddenly felt strong, great, and powerful, as if I could give a shake and the pillars that supported this false world would tumble down. And people say he's a bad poet. That fucking rules. Also, it's literally poetry written in blood. All these other people just like wrote about roses and roses are great, but. Sure. I like them. I like roses. I like them with bread, you know? Yeah, they go well, pair well in a sandwich. (laughs) <laughs> what if bread and roses was actually just a bad sandwich recipe this whole time yeah, absolutely now unfortunately here is the part uh, where we return to Sholem's pattern of what I think is his least cool stuff that he did uh, which mm-hmm. is treating his wife like garbage mm-hmm. now remember he has not discussed this plan with her um, so she is caught completely off guard when she hears that her husband has been arrested for murder she runs down to the station and she climbs. They fought a she, fucking war together. Yeah. They were in a revolution together and he doesn't trust her with this plan. He, it's, I don't even know if it's that he doesn't trust her. I think it's like almost that it doesn't occur to him that like he should discuss things with her. I don't know. I, I, this, yeah. I dislike this. I dislike this about him intensely. Yeah. All right. She runs down to the station. The, there's a car driving him away when she arrives. She chases after it. She actually climbs up onto the running board of the moving car. Whoa. Um, and finally falls to the street crying as it speeds away. Now, oh. I know that's like heartbreaking. Now, here is Sholem's response to that. I sat over full with pain as I looked to my wife. Her cry and despair abruptly pulled me down from a great height. I suddenly felt broken. My dream in which I had soared up till now was interrupted by a malicious hand. And I suddenly understood the reality. My wife's cry pursued me. Gavolt, what have you done? Woe is me. Woe is me. What will become of me? Why have I been punished? The world is drowning in blood, and she thought of herself. Ugh, women. No. <laughs> no. Fuck you, dude. One more. No. He's like, and then my wife really harshed my buzz after yeah. I killed that guy. Like, come on. If fuck you'd you, fucking dude. told her beforehand, you would have seen her, yeah. and she would have been like holding up a big foam hand that says Blackbeard, and you would have felt like a fucking king, but in a good way. Which, I mean, yeah, he would have probably uh, 
led himself directly to the nearest uh, guillotine if he had felt like a king. But yeah, OK, you know. fair enough. All right. Yeah. I, considering he didn't even talk to her about it before he did it, like getting pissed at her yeah. for being freaked out is fucked, you know? Yeah. Um, and I actually have to quote Kelly Johnson's dissertation about this for a minute. This was not to be the last time Schwarzbart expressed disappointment in Anna during the affair, her criticism of his act often troubling him deeply. In this, he was alone, for not even the Ukrainians and allies like the anti-Semitic Action Francais chose to say anything bad about this charming woman. <laughs> he's like, yeah. he's that fucking comedian. He's like, my wife, am I right? And everyone's like, now your wife rules, get new material. Yeah. He's the only person on the planet with a problem with Anna. Everyone Damn. else is like, well, I have some opinions about this assassin, but, uh, you know, I think we can all agree his wife is a nice lady. You know, yeah. like, like even the anti-Semites like yeah. her. She probably would have done it, too. You know, like she's down to, like, drop everything and go join the fucking revolution. Yeah. No, Ugh. I think Anna rules and I'm very mad about um Sholem being shitty. Yeah, which is why uh, the new Cool Zone media podcast, uh, Wife Guys of History, will seek to correct <laughs> this particular problem. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not down with hero worship. I think it's good to be like, yeah. you know, uh, this guy is cool. Here are the shitty things he did also. Totally. So this totally. is it. The big shitty thing he did. Yeah. But... Um, Right now, Sholem and Anna are fucking famous. Um, mm -hmm. He's on front pages worldwide. Everyone has an opinion about him. Their opinion about him is almost entirely based on how they feel about Jews, how they feel about Ukraine, or how they feel about assassination. Now, Jews I like all three. Wait, no, uh, it's contextual. <laughs> I didn't even catch that, but you're right. Yeah, three, <laughs> three tastes that taste great together. <laughs> Jews, broadly, are, are very behind this act. Regardless mm -hmm. of their politics, you know, broadly, um, you will not find unanimity in this particular group ever, but uh, mm -hmm. broadly, Jews Famously, are supportive. Yeah. Anti-Semites and the right in general, unsurprisingly, not supportive. Uh, mm -hmm. Ukrainian nationalists, and I have to say, you know, unfortunately, at this, at this period of history, this category overlaps significantly with anti-Semites, are pretty upset about it. Mm -hmm. The Jewish view and, and like people who are supportive of Jews view of the situation is that Sholem is like this tortured, failed poet, and he's haunted by the violence of his past and his losses. And these versions of the story often exaggerate the family he lost in pogroms. Um, they usually claim that both his parents had been murdered mm -hmm. um, when his mother had died when he was like nine and his father died of natural causes. And they sometimes claim that he lost as many as 100 relatives, which just sounds wild. Like, who has 100 relatives? Um, uh, I mean, I'm Catholic. Right. And yeah, I'm then. a post-World War II Jew. Yeah. So. <laughs> I was like, I don't have 100 relatives. Maybe before the war, people had 100 relatives. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's still not true. He lost 10 yeah. relatives, yeah. Uh, which is enough. That's, that's like that's enough too many people. relatives. Yeah, that's... That's too many. Anyway. I bet his dad was a wife guy. Oh, his dad probably was. His dad, that, his dad was, he was definitely a son guy, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, a lot of them support the assassination, um, but even those who don't see him as this like tragic and sympathetic figure who's just unable to cope with the horrors he's witnessed. And mm -hmm. in that, those cases, they like largely ignore his politics. Now, attacks on him from the right are definitely anti-Semitic. Um, here's a sample of anti-Sholem journalism. 
Okay. Which, by the way, they always like attack his looks, which is funny because like he's a public figure, but he's not even a woman. So why go after his looks? <laughs> Different times. <laughs> Different times. I'm looking up a picture of him. Oh, he looked fine. He's a nice looking man. Cool little mustache. Oh, yeah. Fine. It's fine. So this is this is the quote. I don't actually remember where I took this from, but if he were in the dress of his homeland, you can easily imagine what he might have been and what his ancestors surely were, one of the savage Jews of the Ukraine and Poland in kaftan and phylacteries, <laughs> obstinately trying on moonlit nights to spell telltale signs of the coming of the Messiah. <laughs> We're not a cult. They're a cult. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a huge fan of the word obstinate here. I love mm-hmm. when anti-Semitic Christians feel like people are being Jewish at them. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> they, they keep doing it. <laughs> Plus, there's a real focus from, from the right on the idea that he is a secret Bolshevik agent. Um, mm. More on that later. And then there's the anarchists. <laughs> now... Mm-hmm. One of and Margaret, as you know, um, but one of the things that tends to happen after an anarchist assassinates someone back in the day is a whole bunch of prominent anarchists are suddenly like, "What? Anarchists don't assassinate people. This guy isn't a real anarchist." Yeah. Except for Emma Goldman, who's always like, "Fuck yeah, shoot him again." <laughs> yeah. Or like, even if it's not what I would have chosen, I respect the right of you to do this action. Exactly. Uh huh. And so. Emma Goldman and uh, her, you know, in this, it's no different mm-hmm. in this case. The anarchists are like, boo, this guy sucks. Don't assassinate people. That's not cool. It's mm-hmm. not anarchist. You know, and Emma Goldman and her partner in anarchy, Alexander Berkman, are like, this was an act of vengeance for thousands of people killed in massacres. This man did what he had to do, and we respect it. And um, Emma wrote a whole thing for the anarchist press about what a nice guy Sholem was and what a good friend he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really went hard for him at a time when he was being publicly publicly criticized. Um, she wrote his little clockmaker shop on Boulevard Menilmontant. Hmm? She probably knew how to pronounce it. Um, one of the proletarian districts in Paris was always the gathering point for those run out of various countries and especially from Russia. Even though Sholem was not well provided with material goods, a needy comrade would never leave his house without a meal and a lighter spirit because Sholem's generosity and overflowing friendship shone out from his being. Yeah, and probably like a little clock. You know? Yeah, got a little like, clock. Like, hey, thanks for hanging out at my goth clock shop. Here's a little goth <laughs> clock. And it like has like, never give up, like written in it, you know? Aww. And then like, you know, your, your heart is a muscle the size of a fist. Written yeah. on the clock. Aw, I want an inspirational anarchist clock. I do too now. Um, and interestingly, she did have a major point of disagreement with him, which was the whole idea of Jewish nas- nationalism. Mm-hmm. She she didn't like it. Yeah, which is, she's also Jewish for anyone who's listening. Yes. Yeah, Emma Goldman, also a Jewish anarchist, but one who does not subscribe to ideas of like Jewish nationalism. And if anything bothered her about what he did, it was the fact that he acted as a member of the Jewish people rather than just as a part of the human race. And Uh here's the thing that she did, which I think is really cool and innovative and novel and something that we could look at. In talking about him and his actions, she put aside the ideological point that she disagreed with him on and she just didn't bring it up. Uh Because while it was important to her, it pretty clearly wasn't the most important thing at issue at that moment. 
And she just like stood in solidarity with someone who was doing work she agreed with rather than maintaining divisions over points of ideological difference. Well, Miriam, this this brings up a this is a, a really good way for us to talk about the primary sponsor of today's episode, which is keeping interpersonal political grievances within the movement private instead of public. I'm amazed that keeping interpersonal disagreements within the movement private instead of public is in a position to sponsor anything because they are not doing well right now. No, no. They really pulled together their last bit of money and used it to buy me Thai food. Uh, that was nice of them. They're nice. I know. That's their whole thing. You know, they they have personal disagreements with me, but they don't say it publicly. And they still think you should eat. Yeah, practice what they preach. So that is the primary pocket. Is there is there anyone else that you would like to be sponsored by as like a secondary oh, sponsor? Um, you know, when dogs or cats do a big stretch mm-hmm. and, ev- and any human in the room is kind of compelled to go, ooh, big stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would like this podcast to be sponsored by Big Stretch. Ah, yes. Big Stretch and the, however I phrased the previous thing. Those are today's sponsors, as well as all these other fine concepts and ideas. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight. 
like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. And we are back, and the show has gone rogue. Here we are, producerless, rudderless, floating in a sea of possibility. Uh, It's honestly terrifying. I'm terrified. I know. Sophie, come back. Didn't work. Wait. It may be if everyone who listens claps and says, I do believe in Sophie. I do believe in Sophie. Um, then Sophie will come back. Probably not yeah. this episode, but probably next episode. So everyone you can tweet hashtag I do believe in Sophie. Yeah, everyone tweet hashtag I do believe in Sophie and tag Sophie, whose Twitter handle I don't have off the top of my head. But if you believe in Sophie, you probably already know it. Yeah. And if you don't believe in Sophie, then what are you even doing? Not even like listening to this podcast, but just in general. Yeah, in life, it's get it together. To, absolutely. Um, but you know who else got it together where we last left our heroes? Back to you. Yeah, it was it was Emma Goldman. She got it together. Now, um, mostly though, Shalom felt the anarchists didn't really support his action, which, you know, honestly, a lot of them didn't. Um, They really hedged on the whole assassination thing and on the whole Mm -hmm. Jewish nationalism thing. Yeah. Jewish anarchists in general were more sympathetic. And there's a really sweet letter to the editor of the Freie Arbeiter Stimme, uh, the Free Voice of Labor. Mm -hmm. After Emma Goldman and Alexander Berkman published their support of Sholem, which I cut the letter out of my script. I I had included the whole thing because it's really sweet, but um, we didn't have time for it. But basically, a a kid sends in a donation of $12 for Sholem's defense, which was raised by him and his friends, um, along with an apology for not sending more because they had also sent some of the money they raised to the workman's circle for Sacco and Vanzetti. Oh, these kids rule. This kid rules. His name was Dvori Rosenfeld. Good job. What do you think? Good job, kid. It was like lemonade stand, petty crime. Those are the only ways he that I know about really kids raising say. money. Yeah, he's like my friends Picking and pockets. I came up with this money. Uh, maybe they had like a sick like skate benefit. It was probably a sick skate benefit. Yeah. It was actually the original script of Empire Records was them raising money for Sacco and Benzetti uh, and Schwarzbard. Um, yeah. Instead of saving the record store. Um, and instead of Rex Manning like Day, of movie. instead of Rex Manning Day, it was um, Shalom Day, uh, but it didn't make it past the producers. I wasn't really aware there was a plot in that movie because like it was I used to work somewhere that had a break room that had a mm-hmm. VHS copy of that movie. And so I mm-hmm. saw it in like bits mm-hmm. over like the summer that I worked there, but I never saw the whole movie and like was vaguely only vaguely aware that it had a plot beyond like people are at a record store. They are also vaguely only vaguely aware of the fact that there is a plot, but they do bring it together in the final act into uh, inferring that there was implying that there was a plot the entire time. Okay. And defending Sacco and Vanzetti. Yeah. It was about, it wasn't about saving the record store. That was a metaphor. 
for defending Sacco and Benzetti, who probably most of the people listening to this have no idea who we're talking about. Future friends of the pod, Sacco and Benzetti. Nice. So, you know, ultimately, this back and forth in the press about whether Sholem is a cool person who, you know, did cool stuff or a bloodthirsty murder, it gets very intense, even in the radical Yiddish press. And um, mm-hmm. the conflict ends up being summed up by an observer who, writing about the debate, commented using the Yiddish folk saying, Hitmir von meine gute Freund von meine sonim velich mir in Oitschnitten. Protect me from my good friends. I can defend myself against my enemies. <laughs> yeah. Movement Sponsor infighting. Sponsor of this you know? podcast. Uh-huh. You, you truly hate to see it. And apologies for my Yiddish, which is not great. Anybody listening to this who speaks better Yiddish than me, I'm sorry. Sorry that forced assimilation made you not raised with this. I don't think you have to apologize. Listen, I've been neglecting the Duolingo owl, and that's on me. Yeah. So, Shalom is in jail again. Um, you know, he's having mystical revelations while he's in there. He has those sometimes. Like, while he was in World War I, uh, an angel came and told him to organize community self-defense. Like, you know, this happens to him. Which is like, I'm going to believe in God if, like, an angel shows up and talks to me every now and then. You know? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be like, mad at someone who believes in God. maybe it's a metaphor that he's using. I don't even know. I don't know. I mean, like... There is a level at which the human brain is capable of conflating metaphor and mystical experience. And like, especially if you're like, I have a festering wound inside me that will not heal and then coughs up blood. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think that that's something that like diehard atheism like sometimes forgets is that like people that have these experiences. Yeah. So what are you going to tell them? It doesn't mean that they're right. It means that people experience reality in different ways and things are complex. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't so mean yeah, he's writing. No, no. I mean, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Um, he's, but he's seems to be doing okay. Sample mm-hmm. of his, uh, his writing about his mystical revelations and stuff. He says, I am, de- I am called, I declare Sholem. The meaning of my name is peace and justice. I was born to bring peace and justice to the world, love and fairness. I have become an avenger. Now I am called Noikem, the avenger. Whoa, um, he gets like a later in name punk name. I know. This is, for those counting, this is his third name. And uh, I think Hell it's yeah. the best one. And it is a very good punk name. Yeah. Despite his anger with Anna, she is very supportive of him while he's in jail. Um, oh, she writes God, to him. Uh-huh. Telling how jealous all the other ladies are that she gets to be married to the cool assassin. And also that their dog, Cerber, is, quote, searching for him everywhere. Oh. Which is, I know. It's fucking sweet. I'm literally holding um, the paw of my sleeping dog while we record this uh, podcast. Anyway, now I'm just thinking dogs, about Cerber. They're good. They are good. Even the bad ones are good. I know. Even the bad ones are really good. My dog is a bad dog, you know, but he's a good boy. Yeah. Like that's, he's not good at being a dog, but he's very good. Yeah. So anyway, while he's in prison, he's visited by a writer named Sholem Ash, um, a successful Yiddish writer who writes a short Yiddish language biography of Sholem, mm-hmm. of the other Sholem. But uh, wait, um, we have to, we're going to do a sidebar on Sholem Ash because we have queer Yiddish history. Yay. So, in 1906, uh, Sholem Ash had written a play called God of Vengeance, um, which tells the story 
of a Jewish man who has amassed wealth as a pimp and brothel keeper mm-hmm. and is obsessed with the idea that he can use his money to redeem the sinful way that he obtained it um, by commissioning the writing of a Torah scroll. Um, Torah scrolls are written by hand, so it's a, it's a huge undertaking. Okay. Um, and by keeping his 17-year-old daughter, Rifkala, pure and chaste and getting her married off to a religious scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obsessed with keeping the brothel and his family life separate, and he uses the language of kosher and tray for clean and unclean uh, to describe this. Now, unbeknownst to him, uh, Rifkala, his daughter, is in love with Manka, a young sex worker in the brothel. Mm-hmm. And the two run away together. And there is an astoundingly tender love scene between the two of them where they come inside after having danced and bathed together in the first spring rain. Mm-hmm. And Manka leads Rifkala through a role play of Rifkala's wedding night uh, with Manka as her bridegroom. <laughs> and uh, in the short scene, Manka asks Rifkala, do you want to? Like five or six times. Uh, which is a question that no other character ever asks her. You have fucking verbal consent in this queer representation, radical yeah. Jewish play from 1906. Yes. Um, Fuck yeah. It's incredibly sweet. And they embrace and kiss on stage, and it is unambiguously romantic and sexual. Mm-hmm. But it's also not depicted as unclean or sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not condemned by the narrative, though obviously uh, it is by her father. Yeah. Anyway, the the play is mostly about religious hypocrisy. It's very, very good. I've seen it performed in Yiddish once. I've read it in English several times. You should check it out. Um, And there's also there's a play about the production of God of Vengeance, which is called Indecent, which is which is also good, although I have have some issues with it. But what about the play that's about the play that's about the play? I'm still working on it. Okay. (laughs) Um, So God of Vengeance was performed all over Europe in Yiddish, uh, as well as other European languages. Mm -hmm. And in 1918, it was translated into English and performed in Greenwich Village in New York City in 1922. Now, in 1923, it was performed very briefly on Broadway. Whoa. And then everyone got arrested. What? What? Yeah. The whole cast, the producer, and the charge was obscenity. Because it was gay? Because it was gay. the Well, because it was gay and because it was depicting um, sex work. Um, oh. Hang on, I have the... Uh, they were charged with unlawfully advertising, giving, presenting, and participating in an obscene, indecent, immoral, and impure drama or play. But uh, actually, here's something fucked up. The anti-God of Vengeance movement was led... Um, by assimilationist Jews who didn't want Americans to associate Jews with sex work. So, dun, dun, dun. fuck them, fuck respectability politics. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's the story of the first lesbian kiss on Broadway. That was the first Holy one. Holy shit. Okay, so the first lesbian kiss on Broadway was by radical leftist gay pro-sex work Jews who later wrote the autobiography of an anarchist assassin. The biography, not autobiography. The biography. Yeah, I don't actually think Shalom Ash was gay. Um, or I mean, he might okay. have been. I don't. I don't uh, yeah, really sure. know a okay. lot about him. But but the but the play was gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. And like, it really. I don't know. I, I think it's. I think the way it depicts their relationship is like really nice. Yeah. Um, like you said, verbal consent, explicit verbal consent. What? And it's just like sweet. It's like depicted as very sweet and tender, which like Aww. nothing else in the play really is. You know what a metal name for a play too. God of Vengeance, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. 
the anyway, yeah, it rules. Um, check it out. the The script is is available uh, online in translation. Um, anyway, yeah, Sholem Ash comes to write about Sholem Schwarzbard. And um, in addition to a first name, the two Sholems share having been utterly fucking traumatized by seeing the aftermath of pogroms in Europe. And Ash paints an incredibly sympathetic portrait of Sholem. Mm-hmm. He calls the assassination the redemption of all of us. <laughs> he rules. Fucking coward ass, apolitical, or the anarchists who are whatever anyway. Oh, Not who are like, them. I don't know about this assassination. Do we? So like, actually, I think this is a good point to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like, it is fair to say that assassinations, polit- that political assassinations often do not have their intended effect, yeah. right? Yeah. But this wasn't a political assassination, right? Petlura was not in power yeah. anymore. This was taking revenge against somebody who was never going to face justice, yeah. right? Um, there was no structure in place that was going to hold him accountable. Yeah. And... Sholem knows this, and he's like, this guy can't get away with that. Like, you can't just, like, let this stand. Yeah. So it, it's different, you know? It's it's totally. not. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of what the anarchists are, the, the anarchists who oppose him are, are sort of missing in their, like, discussion of, like, yeah. oh, but we don't do assassination. It's like, first of all, yeah, you do when you do. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, for better or worse, right? Like, often worse. Like, most of the time, worse. Most of the... I don't want to say most of, but, like, some real bad shit has happened as a result of this. You kill kill McKinley, and then you get Teddy Roosevelt, right? And the... That's bad. And you also get, like, authoritarian socialism becoming the dominant form of socialism in the United States. And you try and kill Henry Clay Frick, and you get the working class moving away from direct action. Um, Exactly. But... Sometimes there's just this guy and yeah. he did some stuff. Yeah, and you know nobody is going to do anything about it. Yeah. If Huh. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So how to so how Well, please continue. Yeah. So, you know, apart from from lack of support he's getting from some people who he thinks should support him and and apart from the fact that killing Petlura uh did not stop uh, pogroms, which Anna gets like a True. nice little dig in at him at one point when he's like, oh, I can't believe that there are still pogroms happening after I killed Petlura. She's like, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? Yeah, like, totally. She doesn't say, um, she she says like, what, I think she says one swallow doesn't make a summer. Like, yeah, you can't, that's not how it works, buddy. Yeah. Which that saying always confused me because I always thought it meant a drink of water. But I believe oh. it means a bird. I think it means a bird. The the summer doesn't come just because the first bird of spring is there. Yes, is that, I think that's what it means. Okay. I think it means that killing Cultured. one guy who's responsible for pogroms does not instantly stop all pogroms from happening. I think mm. that's what that saying means. Classic. But saying. anyway, a, apart from all that, Shulam's having a very chill time in prison. He's reading a lot to improve his French for the trial. Um, and he is allowed to order his meals from a local restaurant because he hasn't been convicted. And apparently, like, the concept of innocent until proven guilty, like, comes with a few perks in French prison in the 1920s. Okay. But before we talk about the trial, we do. I want to take a sidebar to talk about a similar case that had happened a few years earlier. Um, some people okay. may have heard of this one, too. Following the Armenian Genocide 
a group of survivors formed something called Operation Nemesis. Fucking great name. Yeah. Um, named for the Greek goddess of vengeance. The goal was to assassinate the leaders responsible for the genocide. Um, and seven assassinations were actually carried out. And the most famous one being the killing of the main orchestrator of the genocide, Talat Pasha, by Sogoman Talarian in Berlin. Um, and I should say, I haven't done even a tiny percentage of the research on Sokoman as I did on Sholem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to apologize in advance if I get anything wrong here. Um, and his story and trial absolutely bear huge responsibilities to Sholem. But since we don't have time to discuss it extensively, I'm going to focus on what I see as the important differences. Okay. So firstly, unlike Sholem, Sokoman did not act alone. He was part of an organized group and he was given a mission by his commanders. And he claims during his trial that he acted alone and that this was a crime of passion, that he wasn't in his right mind due to the trauma of the genocide. He claims to have been present during the murders of his family, to have seen his sister dragged off to be raped and murdered, to have been knocked unconscious and awoken underneath his brother's corpse. Now, none of that was true. Okay. He survived to avenge his family and his people because he was somewhere else at the time of the massacre. Um, But the defense works, and the prosecution is too incompetent to figure out that he didn't act alone, right? Five doctors testify that he wasn't in control of his actions at the time of the murder, which he totally was. (laughs) He's found innocent. And, like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all of this approach. As far as I'm concerned, you know, he mounted a good defense after doing what he had to do, you know? Wait, what country was that? Maybe you said. That was in Germany. Okay. Um, So I wonder, you know, how Germany felt a little later about the outcome of that trial. But um, they but he's found innocent or or not not guilty by reason of insanity or like whatever. But this this happened just a few years before the trial of Sholem Schwarzbart. So I, I think it's important context. Now, the trial is about to begin, and you know what happens sometimes before a trial? Advertisers. Yeah, you know you know when you're on jury duty and they're like, and now a word from our sponsors. It's the prison industrial complex. Hooray. We're not sponsored by the prison industrial complex anymore, though. Fuck no. You'd think. Did you say any more? Well, a lot of the people in our episodes have a lot of personal interactions with the prison industrial complex. Sure, sure. Um, But they're actually negative interactions. This podcast is brought to you by the concept of not prisons. Mm. Um, We haven't come up with a way to describe movement around the abolition of prisons but but today's episode is brought to you by not prisons and then this other stuff witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. And we are back, and we're talking about jury duty and the other things that come before <laughs> jury duty besides advertisers. Yeah, so uh, the trial of Sholem Shvarsbart is about to begin. The prosecutors are asking for the maximum sentence, which in 1920s France is... Guillotine. Death by guillotine. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, Sholem's got a, a problem. Um, which is that he very much publicly did the crime that he was accused of mm -hmm. and has repeatedly admitted it both to the police and the world press, mm -hmm. right? Not um, the now, usual strategy we advocate. Yeah. Now, my my partner is a criminal defense attorney, and um, they actually prefer that their clients not do that. Huh. Yeah. But what if, they're, what if they felt morally justified in their actions? Then it's okay to confess I think your lawyer would still prefer you not do that. Okay, okay. Uh -huh. But, you know, it's, it's up to you, I guess, ultimately. Yeah, no, anyone who's listening, although I'm going to make a bunch of jokes about this, don't do what Sholem don't does. But it's actually all okay in this case um, because his lawyer comes up with a defense uh, that prefigures what I would call the Chicago defense. Now, we've already touched on the fact, Margaret, that you need more musical theater in your life. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that wasn't we didn't reach consensus about that. Well, if you had more musical theater in your life, you would understand um, what I mean when I say that Sholem's lawyer's defense was he had it coming. Oh, I've seen this play. All right. There's a good so, song uh, about he had it coming. Yeah. So that's his defense is uh, he had it coming. He had it coming. OK. Only had himself to blame. Love it. Um, he says, yes, my client. Killed this guy. Uh, we know that. Yeah. But get this. Fuck that guy. Yeah, it's the fuck that guy, that guy defense. Yeah, that guy needed killing. Yeah. My client was right to do it. Yeah. 
Now, you remember, you know, when Talarian was on trial, his argument was basically, you know, he was so traumatized and destroyed by the genocide of his mm-hmm. people, he could not be held responsible for his actions, mm-hmm. which is a strategy. I'm not here to criticize anyone on trial for their life for finding a strategy that works for them. But um, Shulam doesn't want to take this tactic because he wants to portray his actions as righteous, not excusable. Yeah. So instead of talking about how deeply he feels about this issue or how fucked up he was by witnessing the aftermath of pogroms or having to break the news to his cousin that his favorite uncle had been murdered or any of that, he keeps the focus off his feelings and on the horrific things that Petliro was responsible for. Yeah. He's just, he's like, yeah, I did it. I'm glad I did it. It was premeditated. Yeah, totally. Here we go. (laughs) Now, his lawyer for the defense is Henri Torres. He's a socialist. He's Jewish. He has a very strong reputation as an eloquent and skilled lawyer. The prosecutor is a guy named Kempinchi. Um, He attacks Sholem's character, trying to catch him in, like, the most random and irrelevant of lies. And at one point comes out with the stunning question, are you or are you not? An anarchist. Ooh, what's he say? Sholem's like, yeah, an anarchist. Yeah. He tries to establish that Sholem fought for the Red Army and is a Bolshevik agent, which he fails to do because Sholem did not fight for the Red Army and was not a Bolshevik agent. Um, If that sounds connected to anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, that's because it's connected to anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And it sticks around. Uh, Alan Dulles, the first head of the CIA, mm-hmm. um, accused Soviet security of assassinating Petlura in 1963. Um, Damn. And it's something you'll still hear from Petlura apologists today. So it's out there. I love that y'all are either communist or capitalist, depending on which group someone wants to demonize. Yeah, it rules. You're like Schrodinger's bad guy. Yeah, you know? Like whatever, whatever relationship to the means of production y'all are interested in, we've we've got the wrong one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably because you're all communist capitalists. That's probably why. This is totally a safe line of joking for me to make. <laughs> anyway, please continue. Now, the other big argument of the prosecution is, well, why would you kill Petluro for doing pogroms? He didn't do pogroms. He loved Jews, which is a claim. Yeah. Now, a big part of their argument is an article that was published in a Yiddish newspaper that that actually claimed that made that statement. Mm-hmm. And they should have done their follow-up research because the same paper printed a retraction by the same author. <laughs> uh-huh. And they don't know that that article exists until Torres reads this to them in court. Petlora was head of the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian army for over two years. Throughout nearly all of this period, the pogroms continued. The head of the government and of the army did not repress them. He did not punish the guilty. He did not hand in his resignation. And consequently, he assumed the responsibility for every drop of Jewish blood spilt. Yeah. Um, so next up, their their strategy is to be like, well, Schwarzbart is a shitty guy because two of the times he shot Petlura, Petlura was already lying on the ground. And that is by some... Arcane standards we have, an extremely uncool thing to do. Uh, like, okay, this is probably you can only where that, shoot somebody. that yeah. rumor came from. Okay. Um, but Taurus is like, that's not even true. Um, and he reenacts the shooting in court. And he tries Ooh. to make his assistant ah. play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He tries to make his assistant pay put Lyra. And the assistant is like, that is absolutely not in my job description. <laughs> Uh-huh. Internships never change. Yeah. The rules. 
Um, now, at one point, the prosecution starts naming other Ukrainian military commanders who would also who could also have been blamed for the pogroms mm-hmm. to be like, well, you killed Petlura, but like this guy also, it could have been his fault. And one of the guys they name is is a guy named Denikin. Um, and Taurus responds, I would defend Schwarzbart with the same fervor if he had brought justice to Denikin as he did to Petlura. Yeah. And then yeah, Schwarzbart's over there being like taking notes, like, uh-huh, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Is there an Give address for this list. Denikin guy? <laughs> now, referencing the fact that Denikin had once supported France militarily, uh-huh. Torres said that France could, quote, one day have allies who are not complete bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know who else supported France militarily? Your fucking guy who's on fucking Shalom did. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, get yourself a lawyer with the energy who, there where he will defend his client for hypothetical murders he might have committed. Yeah, yeah. Because well, <laughs> fuck that guy too. It's that saying, uh, we will, we support, we support him even if he's innocent. <laughs> yeah. Now, Sholem wanted to give a huge speech mm-hmm. and he didn't because his lawyer was like, absolutely not. Um, You're going to mention angels and it's going to go badly. <laughs> he, he published it later okay. as The Speech I Never Gave, which Eliolul Dam, uh, who I quoted earlier with the translation of Sholem's wartime poetry, uh, has translated it into English. Um, and it is a long litany of the crimes he either witnessed, saw the aftermath of, or was told about in Ukraine. It's got all the stuff we've already talked about and more. Mm-hmm. Massacres, mutilations, torture, rape, desecration of bodies, even the murder of a sympathetic Christian who tried to give dead Jews a decent burial. Oh. And, you know, it's all the rage and pain that Sholem didn't really want on display coming through. Yeah. Um, even though I think he meant it as an objective listing of his of the crimes of Petlura and his men. Um, and it ends with, try them, my judge, um, which is pretty cool, actually. Yeah. But um, as I mentioned, my, my partner is a criminal defense attorney. And I get the sense that when they represent activists, which they often do, half their fucking job is talking people out of their desire to get up on the stand and make a big self-justification yeah. speech. You you do Everyone that. Everyone wants to do it. You do that when you when the death penalty is coming, no matter what you say. You know the the mm, Haymarket martyrs yeah, yeah. were like, we're totally. done. Let's give some fiery speeches. Whereas, Shalom is like, I don't want to spoil anything here, but you know, like it seems like he's got a chance right now. Well, wait, you even specifically said publish something afterwards. You know. I did say that. That was a spoiler. Yeah. But yeah, just maybe keep keep it down over there. Yeah. <laughs> buddy. And also, like, I really I actually do think the speech doesn't get across what what he was sort of trying to get across mm-hmm. about himself. But he really wanted to, you know, everyone wants to do that. But uh Torres gave the job of telling the story to someone else. Okay. That that someone else was um Kaya Greenberg, a 29-year-old Jewish woman who had been witness to a pogrom. Now, okay. I, I want to thank my partner, Maura Meltzer-Cohen, who translated the absolutely harrowing original French transcripts of this testimony for me. Um, but in 1919, Greenberg was a first-year medical student. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of sources say she was a nurse, but she was a medical student. Yep. There's no misogyny and in she history. Had, yeah. Um, she was home visiting her family in a town called Proskurov uh, when their community was attacked by Petlura's forces. Uh, the day before she was supposed to go back to school for her exams. 1,650 Jews were killed in the space of a few hours. And her grandparents' house was converted into a community-organized hospital staffed by Jewish doctors and at least one Russian Orthodox doctor 
The makeshift hospital was under the flag of the Danish Red Cross, which offered it some protection. And despite feeling completely unqualified, Chaya was basically drafted into acting as a nurse, uh, trying to help the wounded and dying. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her first patient was a friend. Um, And here I'm going to quote. Oh, that's rough. Miss Wartenberg, a friend of mine, who just that Friday had been quizzing me on anatomy. She was killed by a bullet fired by a soldier on horseback passing by her window. And she testifies in great detail about the pogroms. Um, This is from Contemporary Time magazine coverage of the trial. I shall never forget the reddened snow sleds filled with the hacked bodies going to the cemetery to deposit their sad burden in a common pit. They brought the wounded to the hospital, armless and legless men, mutilated babies, and young women whose screams became faint as their wounds overcame them. She talks about, like, children arriving too traumatized to speak. You know, she sees a ton of shit. Yeah. And she testifies that Petlura came to Proskurov and refused to meet with a Jewish delegation, which the community had hoped would be able to convince him to put a stop to things. She says, Petlura was responsible. Even Ukrainian officers said so. His soldiers killed our people, shouting his name. One regiment had a band, and it played while knives fell on the heads of innocent babies. Petlura could have stopped it, but he wouldn't listen to our pleas. Sholem had wanted his defense to consist of literally hundreds of witnesses um, and survivors, but it feels like maybe less was more. This one witness was very compelling for people, including Sholem, uh, who openly wept during her testimony. Yeah. And the cross-examination just makes the prosecutor look like an asshole. Now, after all of that, Margaret, how long do you think it takes the jury to find a verdict? Uh, 10 minutes. 24 minutes. Hell Yeah. In 24 minutes, the jury returns a verdict of not guilty on all charges and cries of vive la France echo through the courtroom. Because, yeah, the fuck that guy defense. Yeah, it worked. Now, uh, it actually, this means it actually took them four minutes less to decide that Sholem was totally fine and right to kill Petlura than it did for Petlura to die after being shot. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that guy. (laughs) Yeah. If they had started deliberating the moment he was shot, they would have declared his shooting completely chill before he died. 24 minutes. I I fucking love it. I've taken longer to decide on takeout. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Get seven people to agree on what to order for dinner. I don't know how many French jurors there are, but like... The the whole, like, okay, uh, killing Petlura doesn't bring anyone back from the dead, right? It doesn't undo these atrocities. But just the, like, if you fucking do this, something will fucking happen. You know? Like, the, like, I, I hate the cliche that fuck around and find out has become, right? Because, like, that guy dying does not balance any scales of justice or something right but i like right hope it puts into someone's mind people will fucking find you you know i I don't know how to i wish i know how to more eloquently say this i mean if there had been more people willing to stalk and murder people who committed these atrocities then you know the world might look different If there had been, you know, if the state had been interested in prosecuting or, you know, holding accountable people who did these things, the world might look different. You know, I don't know that, like, like, this is not the ideal situation. Right. Right. But there is something kind of great about this moment where, like, a bunch of people say, like, 
yeah, you know what? That was uh, a, an okay thing to do in this situation. Yeah, yeah, because like, like vigilanteism is is complicated at best. The concepts of sure. ju- justice and vengeance are like used by people to do awful things on a regular basis, right? But there's still a line, you know, and everyone's going to draw that line in a different place. But this is clearly past any reasonable person's line. Uh, this level of of pogroms, right? This level of yeah. of monstrous behavior is clearly past any reasonable person's line. Oh, I was going to say it's beyond the pale, but I think that that references <laughs> specifically where the Jews were forced to live in this time and place where they were forced to live in the pale. But yeah, it's like the, you know, this this community or, or you know, Paris is saying we would rather live in a city with the guy who yeah. hunts down the person responsible for these murders than the guy responsible for these murders. Yeah. Like we are we are happy with that. Yeah, totally. That is absolutely yeah. Damn. All right. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Google jury nullification, everyone, <laughs> because that's what they did here, right? Like yeah. there was no law on the books that said like you can kill someone if they are a real piece of shit. Yeah. They just decided we're fine with this. And like jury nullification, also complicated, right? Like it has often been used in the U.S. for um, and jury nullification is the act of a jury declaring somebody not guilty, even when they think that that person factually committed the crime because they feel that the person was justified in breaking the law, basically, or that the law is wrong. Yeah. And historically, that's complicated. Like it was definitely used to make sure that white people who murder black people have not faced consequences, for example. But it also has the power to be used in other situations, like, for example, preventing somebody from going to prison on drug charges, as a, for instance. So stop dodging your jury duty. Google jury nullification. Think real hard about it, but don't say Google jury nullification to the other jurors in the room because that's somehow a thing you can get in trouble for. Anyway, (laughs) this episode is brought to you by Jury Nullification. (laughs) There's actually, there's a really good zine um, called Jury Independence Illustrated, which uh, you should look up. So anyway, 24 minutes later, um, and Shillam's life is is totally changed. Mm -hmm. Um, He's out. He's free. But his time in prison has done what his injuries from World War One and the Russian Revolution couldn't, um, which is prevent him from working as a clockmaker. Oh, shit. Um, the, yeah, the, the bad light in prison had ruined his eyesight. Oh. So he spent some time at Sholem Ash's house. Um, he and his friends celebrate his acquittal, and he announces that he's done. He feels he's fulfilled his revolutionary duty. Yeah, th- that's legit. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like... Seems fine. Most among us. Yeah. Um, and he, he takes a step back from anarchism, partly because of how betrayed he felt yeah. by how many anarchists refused to support him, but mostly because he's just like, I'm retired. I've, yeah. I'm done. He wants to go off and like live a quiet life. Now, he wants to do it in Palestine, mm-hmm. which is complicated. Now, really importantly, he is not trying to build a Jewish state. He is opposed to building a Jewish state. Right. But he is trying to immigrate to British Mandate Palestine and live and farm there. His old mentor, Zalkind, is already there advocating against Zionism and arguing for a stateless society and trying to build like a multicultural, multi-religious, stateless society. Right. 
And he and Sholem basically want Jewish refugees to be able to immigrate to Palestine. Um, and, you know, like I said, build up alongside Palestinian Jews and non-Jewish Arab communities. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that would have worked out. That's what he wanted. There's definitely a settler mindset at work there. Um, but like also his options are limited, like the, right. the number of places where Jews are not being murdered and and can go is, you know, not not huge at this at this moment from where he's standing. Um, so he's basically saying, like, I want to go anywhere where we can set up something. Yeah. But it's all kind of a moot point um, because Britain is like absolutely not and denies him a visa. Oh, Jesus. So. All right. Yeah. So he's not going anyway. Now, he foresees more violence for Jews coming in Europe in the 20th century. Uh, Crazy. Yeah. You know, so he's try he tries to organize an international army for Jewish self-defense made up of veterans. It doesn't really go anywhere. Um, he and Anna settle down in rural France for a while, and they're just, you know, growing food, having visas denied, mm -hmm. you know. But in 1993, when the Nazis take over in Germany, people suddenly remember his existence. And he goes on a speaking tour of North America. Now, his goal here is to organize militant anti-fascist response. But apparently everyone else's goal is to be like, wow, yeah, anti-Semites sure suck, huh? And like not actually do anything. Yeah, not, not really do anything. He finds that disappointing, as do I. Now, at some point in here, a Ukrainian newspaper publishes a story claiming that Sholem went to Hollywood and acted in a filmed recreation of his assassination of Petlura. And I'm pretty sure it's a lie because I can't find any other mention of it anywhere. Um, but I really wish it were true. Like, I, know. I think this is like a common theme. I think I don't I can't remember if you and I have talked about this, but like the rumors people start about groups and people that they hate are often so fucking cool. Yeah. And like, this is an example. I don't think this happened. I just did this like long research project about anti anti fascism in Hollywood in the twenties and thirties, mm -hmm. and like I just listened to oh, it. Oh, right, yeah, and um, and I I heard nothing about this, and it like would have been breaking news, you know, because like yeah, yeah. Oh no, I think it's definitely a lie. Yeah. Um, but someone like should I make said, it and make it. As if it's made back then. That's what someone should yes. do. Yes, that would rule. No, yeah, I, I only found the mention of this in this one Ukrainian newspaper and like can't find any mention of it anywhere yeah. else. Can't find any Menshevik of it. Uh, That's the worst joke. Okay. Menshevik puns. There is like a French film of the assass of like the trial of Sholem Schwarzbard that I saw a little bit of. It does have him like giving the big speech. Mm -hmm because it's a movie. Um, and there's also a Ukrainian film about Simon Petliura that is like super into Simon Petliura. I haven't seen it, but I watched a trailer for it and it like has a shadowy like agent coming into like a clockmaker shop and being like, we have a job for you. <laughs> <laughs> like Anything for you, Mr. Lenin. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it looks bad. I... Um, I don't know, man. It looks bad. Yeah. Somebody should make a good movie about this. Yeah. Damn. And... What a guy. I want to know more about, because like Anna stays with him, right? Through thick and thin. Yeah. And is that like, I want to believe. So I want to know more about yeah. her. Because like, I want to know what she was doing in Ukraine during the revolution and the civil war. 
Yes, because she's not on the front with him, but she's like in Odessa. She's like... Right. Is she working with the orphan stuff and is like bottom lining and he gets all the credit? Or is like she off doing some like secret secret agent missions? Like is... Um, is she actually Comrade Sophia and in contact with the whole time? And then also like their decision to settle down rurally, right? Like, you know, obviously they had this bad spot where she jumped on the running board worried about him and he's like, my wife, am I right? You know? Yeah, women. But like, there's like something too certain, maybe, I, maybe this is, I feel like I've seen relationships of like people have been together for 50 years where some of their dynamic is very uh, conflictual. Mm. But there's like a sweetness underlying it that I don't know how to describe. Maybe I'm just like trying too hard, not necessarily to redeem him, but in some ways like redeeming her. Here's what I think. Uh, Not redeem her because she needs redemption, but like that. Like tell her story. uh, that, That she gets to have a decent life. That's what I'm like looking for. But go ahead. I think that somebody needs to make a movie of like an Anna perspective of this whole story. And I think like you are the girl to write that screenplay. <laughs> that is what I think. Uh, Sophie, can we green light that for Netflix? You're in charge of Netflix. Yes. Yes, we can. Margaret, this is Sophie Lichterman. This is my voice. Yeah. Right. Sophie says yes. All right. Great. Look, coming soon to Cool Zone Media on Film. Uh, Anna <laughs> Sophia. On celluloid. Com- comrade Anna Sophia. Hero of four nations. Hero of no nations. That's the yeah. full name of the film. So to bring this story mm-hmm. that you will be turning into a film mm-hmm. um, to an end. Uh, Sholem basically spends the last years of his life, uh, which unfortunately ends in 1938 after a heart attack working on a Yiddish language encyclopedia. He's he's done his revolutionary work. He's done his fighting. He's never as active again as he was before the assassination, which is kind of a narrative letdown, but I honestly feel like he deserved uh, some peace and quiet. He, he fucking, he hit a climax and then he fucking had a detour, a lessening of action. I was so excited to hear you try to say that word, Margaret. Yep. You did hear me try to say it. I didn't even get halfway <laughs> through it. The tone them all. Now, Anna um, outlives him and writes a poem uh, published in 1948, uh, which ends this way. Long since forgotten, recognized by no one, yet still she has so much to tell. She sits in her little room and talks to the walls in order to heal the wounds of her heart. Once there was a Jewish hero renowned in all Jewish homes, but the world forgot you like me, you, my only true one and beloved. In the little room, it's dark, the light extinguished. Then she sees, standing there is her sholem. He kisses her and comforts her. She soon wakes up. It was sadly only a dream. So she, I think she really loved him, um, you know, for all that he was not great about consulting her about major life choices. Yeah, Um, and we only see the worst decision, what, what I hope are the worst decisions he made as regards to the love of his life. Yeah. Yeah, I I hope their relationship was like better than than that incident on the running boards yeah. would suggest, but Yeah. Yeah, um you know, I 
this is that's kind of the end of the story. What uh, what do you think? What do you think of Sholem Schwarzbard? No, I mean he's just fucking cool. I mean obviously it's complicated, right? But like, it's interesting because like overall, I I like. I like individual actors moving through history as ways to tie together and like keep a narrative view on something rather than believing like individual people are what shape history because it's large groups of individual people that shape history. Like including the actions of individuals do matter. It's not the undifferentiated masses that, that cause, you know, like there's a, the great man of history is bullshit where individual people, men cause all the change. Right. But there's also this like depersonalized one where it's like, oh, only movements change anything, right? And that's right. not true because there's like often has to be the first person to like do something, right? Or there has to be the individual actions of individuals are what create a movement. And so it's interesting to tell this story that ties together all this different stuff that is like centered around this this one figure because it's not like he is the agent of change in history, but instead he's like a character by which we can understand and humanize like so much, like like what happens, what happened in the Ukrainian Civil War, but then also what it means to walk around in the world being like, well, that guy murdered uncountable numbers of, of Jews and I want to do something about it. You know, um, no, it's just interesting. I, I really like this, this, um, this story that you've you've told and I really appreciate the work that you put into it and also the work that all of the people who helped you put into it. I mean, yeah, first of all, um, I, I've mentioned these people before, but um, I should I should say again that uh, Kelly Johnson, Anna Elena Torres, Eliule Dam and Kieran Finlayson um, were all super helpful. Um, Ashenam Dank to all of them. And to uh, Maura Meltzer-Cohen, who helped me also with translation. But yeah, I I think like what's actually super interesting that I learned doing the research of this, because like I when I was ranting at you while drunk mm-hmm. about this guy, I'm a, I knew like the Wikipedia version of his story. Yeah. And he was mostly, you know, known as an assassin. But if you look at the whole course of his life, the community defense that he did— yeah probably had a much bigger impact in terms of protecting the lives of the Jews of Ukraine than the assassination did. Right. Right? Like, I think that was kind of his great work in, you know, in terms of, like, the time he spent and, like, the impact it had. So sort of to, to, to go along with what you were saying about, like, it being this combination of, like, large forces and movements and also individual action— the end of his individual action stands out, right? This moment where he assassinates this right. famous, powerful person. But the sort of more, the less dramatic work that he'd been doing for years almost certainly saved more lives. Yes, totally. And it, like, like, even just specifically the thing where he got the religious Jews and the secular Jews to get together to fucking defend communities. Like yeah. that rules. And that's something that was uniquely he was in a unique position to do because he was a religious Jew. But because of his politics, he hung with mostly secular Jews, it seems like. But I am curious that you left out his greatest work. What's that? Is it the scary clocks? 
how the clocks <laughs> were the the foundational uh, math and gearing necessary to aim the space laser. Because right, you so claim we don't that he shot this like guy. To talk about the space laser in a, you know, in in a open setting. Oh, but oh. but this is just you and me. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it probably was the space laser that got that guy, not not a gun. Right, not not all not the five bullets. No. Yeah, um, I mean the space laser obviously played into it, but like, here's the thing you got to understand about the space mm-hmm. laser is like there is a fucking waiting list for your chance to use the space laser Mm. like it is impossible you know and then like by the time your your turn comes up it's like oh i forgot and i actually like i i you know booked a a haircut at that same time and like oh now what do i do you know it's like it's it's not as useful as you'd think honestly the space laser it's super inconvenient are you saying that if people want to get things done they have to do them themselves yeah, I think I think direct action, not space lasers, gets the goods. All right. All right. Bold, bold words. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the first reverse episode of Cool People Did Cool Stuff, where it's not reversed to make people uncool. It's just literally reversed where someone else reads me a script that they prepared. And I, I, I'm grateful. I I'm about to say it as if I'm joking. I'm not. Uh, fake sarcasm apparently <laughs> is my affect of the past couple months. This is great. Do you have anything that... Thank you so much for letting me come and talk about this. It's probably not going to stop me from ranting about Sholem at people when I get drunk, but... um, Can we tell the story of how it ended up being a reverse episode? Um, Yeah, you were were like, hey, can I do an episode about about that guy you keep telling me about? And I was like, no. No, fuck (laughs) you. I'm doing it. I'm like, uh, (laughs) fine. I I have I felt too proprietary yeah. about this. No, and 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 rightfully so. Do you have anything you'd like to plug here at the end of all things? Um. Yeah. I mean, I uh, jury nullification. I will plug all day long. Look into jury nullification. And I also, you know, previously mentioned on the other episodes, uh, landback.org, um, which is a great place to direct some money and to uh, look to for educational resources, and the IFAC Fund on Twitter. Um, which can use some money to put individual first aid kits in the hands of people who will use them. Yeah, yeah, And then... And uh, also buy Margaret's book. Well, I want to plug a different book, a book that I'm publishing. Can you do that? I think so. I, we've gone rogue. We can do anything we want. There's no producer yeah. here. We can do anything. So what I'm going to tell you is that I am part of a, a publishing collective called Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, and we are publishing our first... Not our first book as strangers, because uh, the co- we've been around for about 20 years, but there's a new collective of folks who've kind of given new life to the project. And our first book with this new iteration is called Tri Anarchism for Life by Cindy Milstein. And it is, um, if you liked today's content, you might like it. It's available for pre-order now. It comes out on hopefully November 1st. And if you go to tangledwilderness.org, you will find a link to pre-order it. And if you pre-order it, you get little stickers that are like uh, Ex Libris stickers that you can put in your book so you can like feel all cool. And yeah, I think y'all might like it. And that's what I'm going to plug. 
Speaking of Cindy Milstein, um, I actually really wanted to plug a book. Um, I'm glad you reminded me. Also by also edited by them, also from AK Press, called There Is Nothing So Whole as a Broken Heart, Mending the World as Jewish Anarchists. So if anybody like listened to this and they were like, Jewish anarchism, tell me more. That's a book you could check out. I um I'm reading it now. I just started I, I flipped the part where my friend had contributed to it and read that part and it ruled and then I went back to the beginning and now I'm reading it from the beginning as as books are frequently read and I love it and uh, yeah if you're interested in Jewish anarchism check it out bye everyone see you soon bye Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media for more podcasts from Cool Zone Media visit our website coolzonemedia.com or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.